Well, today we're going to continue with a series of messages that we started out for the Christmas season last week, and, uh, and we're calling it Jesus Came Into the World, and we're talking about why Jesus came into the world, and we started by asking a couple of really important questions, the first of which is, what is Christmas really all about? And then here's the key phrase, for you. What is Christmas really all about for you? And then the second question sounds similar, but it's different. The second question is, what is Christmas really all about? And we talked openly about the fact that, you know, the two answers that we might give are not necessarily the same. I mean, if we were filled full of truth serum, remember, plugged into the polygraph machine, we talked about this, what would the real answer be? No wiggle room, no lying, no squeaking away with the Sunday school answer. What is Christmas really really all about for you? What's your truth serum answer? We said for the kids, it's easy. It's about the presence. And as I told you, I don't want you to feel bad about that. You know, really, I mean, I, Pastor Tom is not trying to come down on your Christmas. If you're really jazzed about a particular gift, I don't want you to feel guilty about it. You know, it's just, that's not it. It's not the point of the exercise. In fact, as I thought about it this week, I thought back to the Christmas when I was about seven, I think it was. And Christmas for me, man, was all about G.I. Joe with the Kung Fu grip. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, it just was. It was G.I. Joe with a Kung Fu grip, and I made it very clear to everybody that if I got G.I. Joe with a Kung Fu grip, all was well in the universe, and if not, it might be miserable for everyone. So that works, by the way. And not only did I get G.I. Joe with a Kung Fu grip, which parenthetically does mean that I played with dolls, but it was G.I. Joe with the Kung Fu grip, okay? But not only did I get that, I got the Jeep with the machine gun turret, I got a tent, so... He could camp in the living room, I guess. I got a cot. I got knives and machetes and grenades and guns. I mean, it was such a masculine doll that I had to shave the next morning at 7. I mean, it was awesome. Just want you to know that. But that's what it was all about. You know, it was the Kung Fu Grip Christmas, and it was glorious. Have fun with your presents, okay? But that's not what Christmas is about. We said also, you know, for some of us, I mean, we grow up and Christmas changes a little bit, but for many of us, it remains about the gift because, again, you know, love language is gift giving. And that's true for so many of you. That's why we want to come to your house for Christmas. That's why we invite you to our birthday parties because you communicate value and affection and love to people by finding the perfect gift for that person. And Christmas for you, the total walk away win, you will close your eyes and go, yes, if you find the perfect gift for everybody on your list. That's what Christmas is all about maybe for you. Or maybe it's, you know, about hospitality. It's about getting everybody together, and you're the host for Christmas. We talked about that too. And maybe your love language is acts of service, which means, with regard to Christmas, that what you're going to do is you're going to communicate value and affection and love by thinking through every single detail, by making sure everything is absolutely perfect. Your idea is you want these people whom you love to come into your house and to see and to smell and to taste and to do and to be and to understand how much you care about them by how much you put into making it just right. Or maybe your mom or your mother-in-law is coming, and this is why we have the prayer team for you after the service, all right? But the win for you, when you close your eyes Christmas Day night, is to have them somehow before that moment communicate to you, wow, you did a great job. Everything was so nice. And preferably with details. I like the way you set the table when you thought about this, and then I noticed in the way that you in your menu, and the, you know, that's something that's missing with us guys, by the way. Give a compliment with details, little marriage seminar moment, okay? It means you really noticed. 
you want them to really notice that's the total win. Or maybe it's family and spending quality time in the midst of the hecticness of the holidays somehow with these people that you might not see any other time of the year. Or maybe it's, you know, you just the goal for the family get-together is no shouting and no pouting. That's it. And you'll die a happy person if you can just get through and everybody's still at least talking to one another at the end of the experience. Or lastly, we said last week, some of you might be looking kind of down the barrel of Christmas and it looks kind of depressing because you have no one to spend it with. And I said, you know, let us know that. Because there might be a family here in this church who would love to spend Christmas with you. And that would be a great joy for them and a great blessing for them and for you. So anyway, what is Christmas really all about for you? What's the truth serum answer? And then question number two, what is it really all about? Because that's what we're talking about. And what I want you to do is to take the truth serum answer week by week and compare it to the real answer, to the biblical answer, with the hope that the two become one. Because that can change your Christmas and it can change your life depending on where you're at in your relationship with Christ. So last week, we went to the Word of God looking for right answers. And what we saw is that Christmas is about truth. We went to Jesus, and out of his own lips, he said, look, here's the thing. I came into the world for this purpose, and it is to testify to the truth. We have truth because God and the person of Christ came to us. And he didn't just tell us the truth. He showed it to us, and he is himself the truth of God. It's glorious. It's amazing. But this morning, as we go back to the Bible and we look at a different passage of Scripture about Christmas, what we're going to see is that Christmas is about freedom, that Jesus didn't just come into the world that we might have truth, but he came into the world also that we might be set free, which begs the question of set free from what? And that's really what we're going to be talking about. And I think that maybe nobody talks about it more clearly and more profoundly than the Apostle Paul, but he uses an analogy to teach us this lesson about Christmas and freedom and set free from what, that really we don't understand with our first century mindset, at least not the way that they did in the first century. He's writing to a first century audience. You understand that. It's preserved, and we still read it, and it's the Word of God, but sometimes it helps to hear it the way that they might have heard it. See, he's going to give us an analogy, and the analogy is that of a boy who comes of age. And in his culture... That was a really clearly defined occasion, and it was a very dramatic transition. And so, for example, a 12-year-old Jewish boy on the Sabbath after his 12th birthday would have what's called a bar mitzvah, and many of you have been to that, so we're kind of in touch with that. But that's a coming-of-age ceremony. You see, it's a very clearly marked and defined occasion where that boy becomes a man. Now, the Greek families in his culture, and it was a Greek culture by and large, had the same kind of a deal, but a little bit different. It was at age 18, and when the 18-year-old son turns, well, 18, okay, he had what was called an apaturia. And during his childhood, he would let his hair grow really long, all right? And the idea is they would shave his head as part of the ceremony, and then he would offer his hair. It's like he's offering his childhood. He visibly will look different from here forward. And he would sacrifice it in fire to the god Apollo, and then he would join the military for a couple of years. There's a very dramatic and clearly defined transition for the Roman children, there was a date set by their father, and upon that date set by their father, they would take G.I. Joe with a Kung Fu grip and all of the other childish things in their lives, that which symbolizes their childhood, which they're going to put behind them, and they would offer them in fire as a sacrifice to the gods. They're moving from childhood to adulthood, and it's almost absolutely clear that it's that image, for example, in the really popular verse that Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11, that he has in mind. 
He says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. You know this verse. Many of you, it was read at your wedding, but see now what happens. He says, when I became a man, I gathered up all of my childish things and I did away with them. You see? I gave up childish ways. There was a certain point in his life, a date set, and the idea is that he stopped living as a child and all of the implications of that, and he began living as a man and all of the implications of that, but what are those implications? See, they would have understood this too in the first century. The reality is in the first century, a father would take his son and while he is a child, before that date set where the transition to manhood would occur, he would place his son under the guardianship of some of his trusted family slaves. And so the slaves would raise him, the slaves would tutor him, the slaves would train him, the slaves would teach him how to lead, how to have, have a vocation, the slaves would teach him how to manage a household, the slaves would bring him up, he would live as a slave until the date set at which point he would transition from being a slave and living like that to living as a son, to claiming his rightful ownership and place in the family on a very clearly defined date. And that's the analogy you see that Paul is using and that he's grabbing up to teach you and I this lesson about Christmas and how it's about freedom and Jesus Christ has come on a date set by the Father to set us free. And he says it this way, Galatians 4, verse 1, he says, I mean that the heir, see, now he's talking about the son of the father, but he's the heir of everything, isn't he? I mean, he's the father's heir, but here's the deal. I mean that the heir, he says, as long as he is a what? He's a child, is no different from a slave. Why? Because he lives with the slaves. He's tutored by the slaves. He's led by the slaves. He's trained by the slaves. As long as he is a child, meaning before the date set by the father, he's no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, including the slaves that are training him. But he is instead under guardians and managers. You hear it until what happens? Until the date set by the father, the father takes the son, he puts them under the guardianship of the slaves until the date set occurs. At which point he stops living like a slave and he starts living like a son, like a free man. I mean that the heir, Paul says, as long as he is a child is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is instead under guardians and managers until when? Until the date set by his father. There's the history lesson and some of you are going, okay, great, very interesting, but what does this have to do with me? has everything to do with you, and Paul's now going to explain it. He says, in the same way. See, that's the language of analogy. He's saying, hello, keep that in mind, because now I'm going to teach you something about you. He says, in the same way, we, and the we is us. The we is everyone who believes in Jesus. He's writing to believers. And he's saying, guys, I want to teach you something about us. He says, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to our own household slaves. No, 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 no. We were enslaved to something else, something worse. We were enslaved, he says, to the elementary principles of the world. So what are they? Well, I'll give you a hint. They're, they're performance-oriented principles. I want you to think for a minute about the world that we live in, because the world that we live in teaches us what? It teaches us that good things come to those who perform. It's absolutely true. I mean, we learn it from birth. The good athletes get the glory. They perform well. 
The good students in high school get to go to the good, you know, colleges. The good students in college get the good jobs. The guys who get the good jobs, I mean, those who really perform, they get the corner offices. They get the advancements. They get the bonuses. They get the raises. We understand these things. We even understand it relationally, a lot of us, as we're raised oftentimes in performance-oriented families where all of this stuff that we crave, even that we need, as sons and daughters of our parents, love, affection, affirmation, attaboys, you're great, I'm proud of you, all of those things for many of us are premised upon our performance, sadly. But it's true. And we understand what the game is. You know, we figure out what the rules are eventually. Look, if I get good grades, I get what my heart is craving for. If I date or I don't date this person, I get what my heart is craving for. If I don't embarrass the family, I get what my heart is craving. You know, and if I go into the family business or if I don't go into the family, or whatever it is, you know what the expectations are usually. And normally it's because you bump up against them. Not because they're clearly defined, but in any event, the idea is it's performance-oriented, and the temptation that we have is to take this performance-oriented principle of the world and apply it to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's a big mistake. And that's what Paul's railing against. See, Paul is writing to a group of Gentile believers, people who are not Jewish, but have come to faith in Jesus, but who are being told by other Jewish believers in Jesus that they not only have to have faith in Jesus, oh, that's important, you have to have faith in Jesus, but you have to have faith in Jesus and. So you need to have faith in Jesus and keep the ceremonial law as an example. You have to perform is the point. You have to get circumcised. You have to keep the dietary laws. You have to obey and keep the Sabbaths. You have to obey and keep the festivals. You have to ritualistically perform for God. And on top of that, by the way, you need to perform the moral law of God, which is scary when you look at how Jesus unpacks it. He comes and he says, look, you've heard it said you shall not commit murder. Okay, well, I say to you, if you're angry with your brother, you've committed murder with him already in your heart. I mean, the seat starts getting a little warm at that point, doesn't it? He does the same thing with adultery. You've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. Yeah, okay, yeah, I've heard that. But if you look at another person with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery with that person already in your heart. Uh-oh, that's a problem. So these guys are coming to these people and saying, look, you know, you need Jesus, but you also... I mean, you need to perform. And Paul is standing up in the middle of the New Testament in this book and screaming, no, that's not the way it works. That is not the gospel. You and I are not, you know, saved. We do not secure the favor and the blessings and the salvation of God by what we do or don't do. We secure it through faith in the one who has done it all for us the one who kept the law. See, that's what Christmas is all about. Jesus Christ, God himself, coming into the world as a man to keep the law of God in all of its entirety, inwardly and outwardly, absolutely perfectly, that he might rescue us who run to him in faith, understanding that we haven't and cannot do that. You're freed from the elementary principles of the world. We're saved by performance. There's no question about that. It's just that we're not saved by our performance. We're saved by the performance of Jesus in our behalf. And then on top of that, he took all of our futile attempts to please God, to gain his favor, to make him happy, to earn his salvation. 
And he put them all on his back and he walked them up a hill and he nailed it to a tree that it might be gone forever. And I'll tell you, there was not a Christmas tree up there. There were no Christmas lights up there. Santa Claus was nowhere to be found. Just wasn't. No presents, no gifts. Your mom-in-law was not there. None of the family. But that was Christmas. Christmas is about freedom, and it's about freedom from these elementary principles that teach us that we've got to perform. Paul says this, he says, in the same way, just like the son of the father who lived as a slave until his coming of age, we who believe in Jesus also, when we were children, were enslaved but to something else, to the elementary principles, these performance-oriented principles of the world, but when the fullness of time had come, what's that? That's the date set by the father, but what date is that? It's Christmas. You're like, how do you know that? Just read the next few words. When the fullness of time had come, what did God do? God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, both God and man is the idea, born under the law that none of us has ever, will ever, or could ever keep, but yet God requires to be kept perfectly. To redeem, to purchase with His perfect life and His sacrificial death on our behalf, to redeem those who were under the law. But then what's the end result? Because it's so cool. He says to redeem those who were under the law so that we who believe in Jesus, what? Might receive adoption as sons. Or to put it differently, we can finally stop trying to please God with our imperfect lives. And we can claim our rightful status as sons and daughters of the king. Look around because you guys who have faith in Christ, you're royalty. And not only are you royalty, but you're family. Now let's expand it a little bit. I want you to consider every person on the planet who believes in Jesus. What are the colors? They're every color of man. What are the economic stratas? Every single one. What are the political leanings? Democrat, Republican, independent, you know, fascist, socialist, communist. Line them up. Where do they live? Everywhere. Think about that for a minute because Christmas then implies an additional kind of freedom, does it not? I mean, it's grand enough that we do not have to please God with the lives that we know, frankly, are just not going to cut it. Jesus has done that. But then on top of that, he takes this phenomenally diverse people and what else does He free us from? He makes us family. He gives each of us His one spirit. He conforms us all into His one image, diverse as we are. And He frees us from all of the barriers that would otherwise, and that do otherwise, divide us as humanity. It's stunning. And if you think that's a radical concept today, and it is, you really need to go back again to the first century and start listening with their ears and hearing things from their perspective and from their culture because it was even more radical them. I mean, these people, again, Greek Hellenistic culture, were raised on the teachings, for example, of a man named Herodotus, widely noted as the father of history, wrote about the same time as Isaiah the prophet, about seven, 750 years or so before Jesus Christ was born. And what does Herodotus do? If you're familiar with his writings, he travels, he goes to the Egyptians and he goes to the Scythians and he goes to the Persians, who he calls barbarians, probably didn't win a lot of friends. And he writes about all of these different groups. And what does he detail? 
carefully documents the various differences. And part of his message is, guys, the differences are so fundamental, the differences are so dramatic that there will never be unity, and where there is not unity, there's not sustaining peace. That's their education. And the Greek political experience proved that to be true in many ways. I mean, Athens was unable to unite all of these different groups by means of an empire, something we ought to remember. They couldn't do it. Not only that, Alexander the Great was unable to unite all of these different people groups, though he conquered them all. He gets to the end of his life, he has fought all of these battles. His men have died. I mean, they have traveled through the world in a sense, okay, conquering people after people after people after people, outnumbered, putting their lives. I mean, they loved this man. What a leader he was. But what was his downfall? He took a Persian wife, and here was the clincher. He began to dress like a Persian, and his own soldiers who had lived and died for him revolted. The differences are too sharp. We cannot overcome them. And Paul's saying, no, 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 wait a minute. What about Christmas? Have you considered that? Because through faith in Christ... We're all members, rich and poor, black and white, red and yellow. You know, no matter what your color is, all of us, diverse as we are, all of us are family. And we're one as we're conformed to the one image of Jesus. Christmas is about freedom, and it's not just about freedom from having to perform to please God because Jesus has done that for us. It's that, and that's a really big point. But it's freedom from all the things that divide us as well. We're royalty. And parenthetically, that ought to affect the way that we live. It ought to change how we behave. And it's not because we ought to change how we behave, because again, we're trying to purchase God's favor. No, no, Jesus did that, covered that. That was five minutes ago. It ought to change how we behave because we're royalty. We've been given a new identity. We are different people. Fundamentally. Paul says this in Colossians 3, beginning in verse, one, verse 9. He says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You see here that? It's like clothing. You're taking off, you're putting on. That's the image, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image. That would be the one image, by the way, of its creator. That would be Christ. And here in Christ, what? There is not Jew and not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian. He's citing Herodotus, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all through faith in Jesus, all members of the same family. That which is a barrier between us, those things dissolve, but not only that, it should affect the way that we live. You know, the word courtesy comes from the word court, court referring specifically to the court of the king. There's this idea that people who belong to the royal family and live out their lives in the court of the king behave as such. Not to become part of the royal family, they're already part of the royal family. There is a courtesy of the court of the king that ought to begin to mark our lives. And what is that courtesy? He goes on. He says, put on, again, like a shirt, like a robe. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, as those who have been set free from the performance-oriented standards of the world and set free to become sons and daughters of the king. He says, put on compassionate hearts 
kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also might want to, no, must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which does what? It binds everything together in perfect harmony. It creates unity. And where there's unity, there is peace. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. What is that that he's listing out for us here? Because he gives us another list that sounds a whole lot like this in this book of Galatians that we're looking at. It's the fruit of the Spirit, the manners and the behaviors of the royal people of God are the fruit of the Spirit of God, their love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. So Christmas is about freedom, freedom from performing, trusting instead in Christ's performance, and freedom from the things that divide us, freedom to become the children of God and to then begin to live that way. Again, he says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, that's Christmas, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we who have faith in Him might receive adoption as sons. And then what's His final cry? He says, and because you are sons, not because maybe someday you'll become... No, 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 right now. Because you are sons and daughters of the King, He's saying, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying what? Because it's tender, it's affectionate, it's intimate. It's the very statement of a little Jewish child in that first century culture. It's what he or she would say to his or her daddy in Aramaic as he curled up in their dad's arms, you see. He put the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, that's daddy, father. He says, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. It's a great inheritance that we have as the Son of God. You know, it's, uh, it's inexhaustible and it's eternal. It's pretty amazing. So if Christmas for you is all about the presence, you know, enjoy the presence. But is that it? If it's all about giving presents, if it's all about, you know, having the perfect deal at the home and the thing and the mom and the dad and the wow, and you did a great job, and even with details, that is pretty awesome. If it's about family and no shouting and no pouting and quality time, or maybe it's just about nobody's around and I don't know who to spend it with, in which case, please, again, let us know. But if that's all that Christmas is, if that's really the answer, then your vision, my vision of Christmas is way too small. Because Christmas is about freedom. You have been set free from your futile efforts to try to earn the love of God. Because God so loved you that He sent His Son to live the perfect life that you can't live and to die on a cross to make you clean. It's about being set free from the barriers that divide us. Jesus is not just the spiritual solution. He is the political solution as well. And it's about being set free to begin to live as sons and daughters of the King whom you have the privilege of calling Abba, whose resources are eternally yours and whose inheritance 
will be yours to enjoy forever. Now that beats the heck out of G.I. Joe with the Kung Fu grip. Just does. What's Christmas all about for you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can celebrate the reality of Christmas because of your goodness to us and your so great love as we see it in your Son, our Lord, our Savior, frankly, our hero, the one who lived the perfect life we have not lived and died as the punishment for all of our sins and who sets us free to simply be your children through faith in Him. God, impress upon us this year what that means. Draw close to us and let us to draw close to you through your Spirit. Make us to be one people, no barriers, no divisions, and help us to live in such a way as to reveal the character of our Lord, the gifts of your Spirit this year, this Christmas. We come to you and we worship you, we celebrate you, and we profess this day our love for you and appreciation and thankfulness. Thank you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.